0: American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. So in this section, we'll learn how Alexander Hamilton, the first U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, shaped the future path of American capitalism by creating a new set of rules for the financial relationships inside the country. What these rules did, ultimately, was make the wealthiest Americans dependent on the national state's ability to pay them back for money which they had lent to the federal government. This ensured their commitment to the larger project of keeping the United States unified. But the rules and the links that he created would also help to shape the future development of American capitalism in even bigger ways. So one of the biggest problems that the United States faced in the 1780s was the huge accumulation of debt. This debt was caused by spending during the American Revolution. Both the national government and the individual states had sold bonds in order to finance war against Britain, which was the world's biggest military power. They'd won the war, but now they were left with a huge accumulation of debt and an economy in tatters. They had very little ability to pay this money back through tax revenues. When Hamilton becomes Secretary of the Treasury in 1789, the United States federal government and the individual states combined owed about $79 million collectively in bonds and in accumulated interest. Now, a bond is a promise to pay money at a specific time, and sometimes over time through a stream of interest payments. If you don't pay back your debts on bonds, whether you're a state, corporation or an individual, you're going to find it much harder to borrow money in the future should you need to do so. Some policymakers, like Virginia's James Madison said it would be unethical to pay back the bonds at face value because many of the current holders were speculators who'd bought the bonds for pennies on the dollar. Others pointed out that it was probably impossible to actually pay back the bonds. In 1789, the government was going to raise about $2.8 million mostly from taxing imports. That meant that the federal government would owe, if it assumed all the debts, $26 for every single dollar they brought in in revenue. And just to give you a little context, in 2012 and 13, the European Union nearly collapsed because of Greece's inability to pay back its debts. Greece's debt to income uh, Greece's debt-to-income ratio was 3.5 to 1. Now. While many of Hamilton's political opponents, like James Madison or Thomas Jefferson, had a narrow focus on shaving down the total amount of debt by repudiating uh, or paying back only part of the bonds, Hamilton understood that if the bonds were a crisis, they were also an opportunity to show the power of the federal government to establish a coherent and stable economic environment in which entrepreneurs and investors could make profit. Now, one reason perhaps why he understood this was that he came from a different sort of background. In contrast to many of the Virginia-based leaders who dominated much of the early uh, years of the American federal government, Hamilton wasn't a tobacco planter. He wasn't somebody who borrowed money and sold primary products in the world market. He instead had grown up in the British West Indies. Now, sugar colonies, tobacco colonies, there's some similarity. But Hamilton got his education in business right in the middle of mercantile activity in the office of a local merchant who lent money to planters and borrowed money himself from overseas investors. So he had a different set of ideas. And these ideas, which drew upon innovative British and Dutch banking practices, would be tremendously influential in shaping the financial architecture of the United States. Hamilton's plan was that he would convert all of the debt from the revolutionary era including the state-issued bonds, into one new set of federal bonds. Now, instead of 6% interest like the old ones, these would pay 4% interest. But they'd be perpetual. In other words, the federal government would keep paying 4% interest year after year unless it decided to buy the bonds back completely. Hamilton convinced Congress to adopt his plan and even to set aside a fixed portion of the tariff revenue every year to pay off the interest on the bonds. Now, his plan worked so well that within 10 years, the debt to income ratio of the federal government had dropped from 26 to 1 to 8 to 1. And it was able to issue new debt and borrow money much more cheaply than it had been able to do before. And in a broader sense, this was so because he had convinced investors around the world to buy into, uh, to sink their money into the startup that the United States represented. They were now confident, because of his plan, that the United States would be able to pay them back. But at the same time, as they invested in the United States, their fortunes were literally invested in the broader fortune and the broader success of the United States. They would not be inclined to break up the United States into smaller nations uh, or, or see it be reacquired by Britain or some other colonial power. For information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University.